0: It's been it's been great going through the book of Ephesians together, and I pray that you've been challenged and informed and equipped and uh, revived in your love for Jesus. And uh, I know for me, it's been a uh, if you're not getting anything out of it, I'm certainly i have just been uh, I've been enjoying these times with the Holy Spirit, just opening my eyes, opening my eyes to His Word, and so it's been wonderful. Um, so this morning we're going to pick up in where we left off in verses 11 through 22. But for us to really appreciate Um, what Paul is going to be addressing in this subject matter. It's really important for us to kind of take a little bit of a step back and get the context of what he's uh, giving to us. Obviously, this was a letter that Paul penned, to the church at Ephesus, right? And so it's a lot easier when it's a letter and you just kind of read the whole thing through. It's a lot easier to make those connections, but we're like seven weeks, or six, seven weeks into this already. And so it's it's important to kind of come back and remember the context so that the significance of what he's about to share really kind of um, hits home. Um, So, so far he opens up with this incredible truth in the beginning of Ephesians chapter one. He reminds us that we are chosen before the foundation of the world. Right, and, and one of those things that we'll never fully be able to understand on this side of eternity, that God, before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. And, um, and then he, we see that he predestined us uh, to, be son, to adoption as sons in Jesus Christ. For reasons that we'll never understand on this side of eternity, God stepped into our worst moment and chose us in him right? And then it says, so we see we were, we've been chosen before the foundation of the world. We've been predestined to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. We see that we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? There is no other way that we could find, we could satisfy uh, the, the, whole, a whole, the holiness of God, but by coming cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, there's nothing we can do. There's no experience. There's no work. There's, no, um, uh, there's nothing we can present, to bring us back into right standing with God, it is only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul talks about that. Blood of Jesus is what issues in the forgiveness of our sins. And then Paul will say that we are then sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And so these truths that we, we see in the, the opening of chapter one, I mean, talk about dropping a truth bomb right in the beginning. I mean, these, these are truths that are so hard for us to, to reconcile in our minds. I mean, this subject of being chosen before the foundation of the world by being predestined, these are subjects that, can I just say, has split the church for centuries. Um, not, not the outcome. The, uh, the reality of it is you can't get past the fact that there's a God has a chosen people and that God has predestined people. The outcome, everybody pretty much agrees on. Where the divide comes in is how did that happen? On what grounds? By what means? What was the process by which that takes place? And there's a lot of opinions out there. And sadly, um, that the, the, the diversity of opinions has caused more division than is necessary, and I think that as as people of God, we just need to kind of celebrate the fact that i don 't know how we got there but we 're chosen in him right i don 't know why he chose me, but for whatever reason i wouldn 't but he did, and i 'm really glad he did and all the other kind of stuff the process um, it, it's it 's a bit of a mystery uh, and, and so I think it's something we need to, we need to have a, an appreciation for, uh, but not try to explain away the mystery and the wonder of God's sovereignty. Because in the end of the day, we will never fully be able to understand the fact of how God chose us before the foundation of the world, how he predestined us, on by what means, on the walk around. I have no idea. But it's clearly what is taught in the Scripture. And so understanding that and and, and embracing the outcome of that, it really impacts the way we see ourselves. I mean, in the end of the day, if, if I've been chosen in him before I even put in motion my life, that means that I am accepted by him. And when I understand that I am accepted by him, it affects the way that I understand God sees me. And see, I think that's one of those critically important pieces that every Christian needs to understand. That in Christ, you're accepted by God. He loves you. He chose you. He has a plan for you. And when you understand that, it allows you to walk into your day in a completely different mindset. Instead of trying to gain God's acceptance, you move out from God's acceptance. And that's a whole new world. And so it changes the way we see God, it changes the way we see ourselves, and it also changes the way we see the world around us. And so because that is such a significant truth, Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, prays that they would understand a couple of things. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. He prays that, that they would know God, Ephesians 1:15 through 20. Right, just a little review. He prayed that they would know God. Not that they would know the church, not that they would know Paul, not that they would know how to live their life. No, no. All of those things are secondary. The biggest thing Paul prays for the church at Ephesus and prays for us is that we would know God. In the end of the day, that's the most important thing. His prayer was that they would know God. That was Paul's desire. We, re, we read about that, that. That he would know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. Right In the glories and the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his sufferings, that we know deep in our knower who God is. He prayed that they would know who they are in Christ. So critically important, that they would know God, that they would know who they are in Christ. Thirdly, that they would know where their reward comes from right, we'd not be striving for man's approval, that we'd not be seeking the the attaboy and the reward of people, but that we would recognize that our reward comes from God. It is him that we will stand before in the end of all time. It is him who will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the reward that I have for you. Right? And so we need to live our lives realizing that our reward comes, because here's the thing, when we fully understand that, we let go of this people-pleasing mentality that can bind us up sometimes, right? We live in the audience of one, Coram Deo, in the face of God, that they would know God, that they would know who they are in Christ, that they would know where the reward comes from, and then lastly, that they would know God's power and ability to deliver them, to accomplish that which he started in their life. Paul said, I am confident that this very thing, that he who began a good work in me, he will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He is able and so we see the the, the significance of, 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 of our salvation that, uh, on display in the opening of chapter one. And Paul, Paul's prayer is: oh, that you would know who you are in Christ. And then he he continues on. He says, let me tell you where your situation was. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But he says, you've been made alive together in Christ Jesus, right? In Adam, we were born spiritually dead apart from God, as far off as we possibly could be. But we were made alive together in Christ and we were raised up in Christ, he says. What does that mean? We were raised up from this world system. We were raised up as being from being citizens of this world, citizen of this world, to being citizens of heaven. We are raised up in Christ and we are seated with him in the heavenly places. There is a completion that took place when Christ sat down. Our union with him means that we sat down complete in him as well, not by anything other than the grace of almighty God. And that's what Paul highlights. Lest these people begin to think that as a result of their good works, as a result of their religiosity, as a result of their efforts, as a result of anything intrinsically within them, Paul says, before you begin to boast, you need to know that everything you're a recipient of, and it is amazing, it is by the grace of God. God's unearned favor. You did nothing to earn it. God gives you that thing, that grace. Paul says it this way. The gift of salvation is by grace alone so that, look at verse 7 of chapter 2, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I don't know. I just When I read that, it kind of gives me a picture in my mind. There'll be a time, maybe a million years from tonight, I don't know, but we're going to be in the presence of the Lord and we're going to look back, remembering what we were and realize that Only by the grace of God. I don't know about you, but I I am fully aware in and of myself, I've not been able to maintain my own standing with God. If it was on me, I would have lost it a long time ago. And what it does in me is it makes me rejoice in the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward me in Christ Jesus the fact that I could still utter utter his name is a result of the grace of God. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. If there's a memory verse that I'd love for you to work through and and remember, it's that, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Nobody can boast. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We're saved by grace. We stand by grace. We can come to him because of grace. We can be forgiven because of grace. We We can respond to him only by the grace of God. This is a powerful positional truth that is very important for every child of God to understand. It is essential. Understanding the grace of God as our only means is essential. It's what, if, you don't, if you believe it's any work outside of the grace of God, you move yourself outside of orthodoxy. And that's a salvation, a, a, a religious system that does not save. It is only by the grace of God. And as we move on to this next section of scripture, we see that, that Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, will begin to move from focusing on, on, our, on how we see ourselves in Christ. He does a wonderful job, right? I mean, we, we, as we read through chapter one, we see we're blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. We get this picture of who we are, and we recognize that, that God adopted us into the beloved, right? That we are God's own special people, right? And we see a lot of focus on us in the opening passage and now we see a little bit of a shift from focusing on who we are and who I am in Christ to now who we corporately are in Christ this shift changes from just me being a recipient to recognizing one another fellow partakers of this glorious gift he ties this in, and that's why I, I provided, that's why I gave you so much context. Because we, if, we, if we just jump into the text apart from what he just said, we're not going to get the, the full impact of, of what he's saying here. He lays it out so beautifully before us this is who you are, this is why you are who you are. And then he starts this next section off with a therefore. Now, we all know at Integrity Church, when you see a therefore, we find out what it's there for, right? Every therefore you see in the Bible serves as a bridge from what the author just said to what he's about to say. And so anytime you see a therefore in the scriptures, it's there that we stop and say, well, what's that therefore? Well, based on what we just talked about, who we are in Christ, what God has done for us, recognizing it solely by God's grace, he says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Let me just explain what that means there. You were the uncircumcision. The circumcision was an outward, outward sign of a spiritual connectedness that the people of God in the Old Testament had with God, right? So the Jews were circumcised and it served as a symbol of their connectedness with God. And those who were circumcised looked at those who were not circumcised as those who were separated from God, right? They recognized that they were not of us. There was the haves, literally, and the have-nots, right? And so we see that circumcision is an outward expression of an inward reality that the people of God had in the Old Testament. He says, now remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, you were called the uncircumcised. You were the, outcast, you were the outcast, and you were called that by the circumcision. You were called that by those who have been circumcised. The Jews looked at you as outcast, which is made by flesh, and, uh, by, by hands. He says, remember that you were, at that time, you were separated from Christ. That's what you were. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were not only strange, but you were strangers, right, of the covenant of promise, right? He says you were strangers of the covenant to the covenants of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. That's what you were, and he, and, and he's saying. Look, he says, remember. It's very interesting here. He says twice in this section, of, in, in this opening section, he uses this word twice, remember something. Re- re- rejoice in who you are. Rejoice in what God has done. Rejoice in the grace that has been provided for you. But remember what you were before you have embraced Christ. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Now, most of the converts in the Ephesian church, they were Gentiles. And they were fully aware that much of God's dealings and God's promises was not directed towards the Gentiles, but they were directed towards the Jews. And so they were fully aware that as they looked at the Old Testament, all of the blessings, all of the goodness, all of the display of God's presence was directed not towards the Gentiles, but towards the Jews. For centuries, as a result of that, the Jews would look down on the Gentiles. There was always hostility that would exist between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was the the haves and the have-nots because the Jews carried the the mark of circumcision and the Gentiles did not have the mark of circumcision. And in the, the mind of the Jew, that was their awareness that they were connected with God and the Gentiles were not connected with God. But something started to happen, right? Now the Gentiles start coming along. And now the Gentiles are grafted into the people of God without the need to be physically circumcised. Instead, by embracing the cross of Christ, by embracing the gospel of Christ, they receive spiritual circumcision. So now they are accepted by God. They are no longer separated from God. They are received. And you see, the acceptance of one another in the body of Christ at that time, Jews and Gentile, wasn't something that happened very easily. Because they were different. The Jews saw the Gentiles as Gentiles. And the Gentiles saw Jews as as Jews. And so there was a hostility, there was a divide amongst them because they were different than them. Isn't it amazing how the church hasn't changed one bit? I mean, really, what we see here, and actually we we see this on display also in the book of Acts, I mean, we see racism right from the beginning. Right? Right? What's so sad is God in His creative genius, He creates every nation, tribe and tongue, different color, different different ethnicity. Hey, the, 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 the spectrum of, of God's beauty and creatorship is something not to be avoided but to be celebrated. I mean, we see it in the beginning of time, and then we see it at the end of time, where Revelation says, at the end of time, every nation, tribe, and tongue will gather before the throne and give praise and glory and honor to God. And that's something that we ought to celebrate, and and the enemy tries so hard to bring division. He did that from the beginning of time And Paul's addressing it right here. Even amongst the Christians, the Jews and the Gentiles, the the converts that came together, there was a division that existed amongst them because they were were different. He says, remember that one time, you being a Gentile in the flesh, you were considered separated from God by those who were separated to God. You had the halves." and the have-nots there was a there was a, there was a divide a division the way they saw one another was less than and it caused hostility and what paul says here is remember remember what you were and and, and this is why it's so so important celebrate what you've been a recipient of, you've been adopted, you've been chosen, you're you're, you're accepted, but don't forget what you were. Remember that at one time, he says, you were separated from Christ. Remember that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, you are an outsider of the people of God. It's an important understanding that we have. We need to remember what we were. He says, remember that you were, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. In other words, you not being a, a, a child of Abraham, you were not on the receiving end of the promises and covenants of God. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. He says, remember, remember that you were without hope. Historians tell us that there was a great cloud of despair and hopelessness that covered the ancient world. Philosophies were empty. Traditions were disappearing. Religions were were powerless to help people face life or death. There was no power in its words. There was hopelessness. People longed to see the darkness lifted and hope restored. And Paul says, don't forget, you were without hope. He says, remember that you Remember, you, without, you were without God in the world. You were without God in the world. It's interesting. They were living in an age and an area where there were more gods than there were people. I mean, that was the world in which they lived in. There was gods for everything. There was more gods than there were people. And yet, yet they remained disconnected from the life of God. It's not much different today, is it? While our culture may not refer to the gods of our day by name, don't think for a moment that they don't exist. And worship attendance is at an all-time high amongst the gods of our world. The gods of self, the the god of pride, of lust, Anything you pursue, anything you go after, anything you surrender yourself to is your God. The gods of lust, comfort, religion, bitterness, fear, and anxiety, they fight for our hearts, don't they? They are woven throughout our society and in our world. Much worship has gone up to the gods of, of money and vocation of success, and even family and friends, good things can be taken and put and elevated to a position that only belongs to God, that everything revolves around good things can become bad things when we put them before God. They become idols. They distract us from the worship of the one, the one true God. We see that in our society today. It clearly was, was the case in, 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 during, the Ephesian, uh, during the, the, the Ephesian time of, of this writing. They, they had more gods than they had people, and yet they were not fulfilled. They kept making gods up, hoping the next one would bring some significance, and nothing ever did. You see, this is what they came out of. This is, this is who they once were. These were the lifestyles that they once lived. And the call of the apostle Paul is, don't forget what you came from. Don't forget who you were apart from Christ. Remember what you were, so you will not only appreciate where God has brought you, but you'll remember how God brought you there by the grace of God. We need to hold in proper tension these realities, these truths that we see in the scripture, that apart from Christ, we are as bad off as we possibly could have been. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were incapable of saving ourselves. We had no chance of satisfying the the, 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 the demands of a holy God. We were heading to a crisis, eternity in hell, in hell forever and ever. We need to hold that reality as truth along with this other reality of but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us he stepped into our worst possible situation and he made us alive together in christ jesus that's not who we are anymore we now ought not to forget who we were so we can appreciate who we are and we need to recognize that god what got us from where we were to who we are now is the grace of almighty god and you see when we understand that when we understand wh- who we were apart from Christ and we recognize the grace of God that has been extended towards us it causes a love and appreciation for what Christ has done for us and it also creates a patience for those who haven't arrived yet don't forget what you came from don't forget the the stink of sin Don't forget the hopelessness. Don't forget the despair. Because when you forget where you came from, you'll never be able to relate with the world around you. And Paul is, after he just does this incredible display of, here's who you are. Twice, actually five times, he said, but just remember what you were. And what does that do? It, it, it accentuates, it magnifies the grace of God. That's what we were, he says, but in verse 13, he says, but but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off. That was me. That was you. I was I was far off as I possibly can be. Once, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Do you see the change? Do you see the invitation? Do you see the extent to God, which God went through in bringing us from what we are to what, who we are now? We who are far off have been invited to draw near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Look, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Man, it's both one. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the division that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. The ones that who look down on the other, with the haves and the have-nots, recognize and say, Well, the, the Jews look and say, Well, do you realize you, know, you weren't part of us from the beginning, right? You you don't have Father Abraham, who had many sons, many fathers had sons, I like Father Abraham, right? You didn't you didn't have the rich history that we have. You didn't have the fathers that we had. So they would look down on them. And the Gentiles would be like, you know what, we didn't have that, but you didn't seem to recognize who Christ was because you put him on the cross. And so we are the recipients of, of this new. And so there was a divide among Amongst them, and what Paul says is, listen, don't forget where you both were apart from Christ. And then he says, look, for He Himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In other words, there ought not to be any division anymore amongst the people of God because at the, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, that wall of hostility has been crumbled and the, cro- the ground before the cross is level. And there are no longer any haves and have-nots, no more special sons or daughters, no special race or people or tribe or tongue. We are but one people, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And look, it says, and how how will they find peace between them? You see, Christ, who is our mediator, he mediates between the Jews and the Gentiles. He says, no longer should you you yourselves uh, be enemies and outcasts towards one another, but now instead you should experience peace. And how do we experience peace with one another? Jesus himself is our peace, verse 14 says. For he himself is our peace. And this wall of division that existed between these two groups, Jesus broken it down in his flesh. The cross shatters racism. It shatters the things that divide people and define people. And it makes us both, both one. One. Not only did the cross of Christ break down the wall of hostility that existed between us and God, as we saw earlier in the, in the text, but the cross of Christ breaks down the wall of hostility that exists towards people who are not like you. And that speaks directly to much of the problems we have in our culture today. A lot of the divide that we see and the hate that we see today, it's not new this has been going on for centuries. It's the same lie packaged differently from the beginning of time. What is it? It's an assault on the beauty of what God has created in his people. The diversity that God has created amongst the people of God is not something to be divided over. Instead, it's something to be celebrated. And again, as we look at the end of time, when we stand before him, every nation, tribe, and tongue, we're going to see a lot of different yet one. One as we stand before the throne. People defining and valuing one another based on the the color of their skin, their nationality, their socioeconomic status, the town they came from, their upbringing, the church they attend, attend, the denomination they're a part of. The walls of division that exist in the church today are walls that have been broken down by the the cross of Jesus Christ but sadly have been resurrected by Christians who allow themselves to be influenced by the divisiveness in the world. And this ought not to be amongst God's people. Paul, the book of Ephesians, the Holy Spirit teaches us, we are one, we are one in him. And before you conclude that that person who's different than you, isn't as valuable as you are? Now, we don't say that, not in words at least, but how we can look down and draw conclusions says it over and over again. Lest we do that, let's remember what Paul says in verse 11. Remember where you were when God received you. Listen, listen, My disposition before God apart from Christ was far worse than any disposition I had in front of anybody else. And if he could receive me, why can I not receive and appreciate the value of one another? And that's why Paul says, just remember, celebrate who you are. Don't forget where you came from and extend that to everybody around you because we are one because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't get caught up in the hate and the division. It's not consistent with who you are in Christ. Look with me. He says, he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might, look, create in himself one new man in the place of the two. No more Jew, no more Gentile, that he create out of those two one, right? That he create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What he says here, create himself one new man in place of the two. No more Jew, no more Gentile, but one redeemed in Christ. One new man. Look, where is that one man? That one man is in Christ. In other words, this one man doesn't have his own individuality. This one man is identified in Christ. In Christ. That he might reconcile us both. Jew and Gentile in need of reconciliation and it's done through the cross of Christ making us one thereby killing the hostility. What hostility? Certainly the hostility that existed amongst Jews and Gentiles and people who are who who view others as different that have embraced Christ but also the hostility that exists between uh, the creation and creator. Those who are of us who were born in sin, born under the wrath of God, the cross of Christ absorbed all of the wrath that God had directed towards us upon himself. And instead of us being under the wrath of God, we're the recipients of God's grace and love and mercy. Look what he says here. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The Gentile was perceived as being far from God. The Jews were perceived as being near to God, but neither one of them were in God. And so what we see Paul saying is he came and he preached peace, peace to those who were far off, those who were near, and for through him, because of him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. this union that we have in Christ. Our minds cannot possibly grasp the significance of our identity in Christ. Because of our union with Christ, through him we have access by the Holy Spirit to the Father. We talked about that last week, that we are in Christ. It's a great Trinitarian truth here. We see the Godhead at work in bringing us to the Father. We come to God because of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, to the Father. We see God creating that pathway for us. And again, remember that healthy tension. We hold in proper tension who we were in Christ, never forgetting what we were apart from Christ, but we recognize because of his grace, Extended towards us. We recognize who we are in Christ now. And that affects the way we see ourselves as new creations in Christ. When Paul says in, 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 in chapter one of Romans, where he says, I'm a, I'm a debtor to the Jew and the Gentile, to the Greek and the barbarian, he saw himself as a debtor, recognizing not just to them, but to God because he'd been a recipient of something he didn't deserve. And you know, we need to see ourselves as that as well. We're recipients of that which we never could earn ourselves. And we live our lives in reflection of that. It affects the way we see God by his generous and abounding grace towards us. And then it affects the way we see the body of Christ with all of her diversity. Diversity. Every nation, tribe, and tongue made in the image and likeness of God to be celebrated, not divided. This truth of who we are and how we got there needs to be extended to all those who call upon the name of the Lord. And note how Paul wraps it up. He says, so then. Now a so then is as good as a therefore. Let me just kind of pop that out there for a moment, right? When you see the so then, that's also a bridge verse, right? So then, based on what was just said, as a result, the so then is a call to action. Now, therefore, is more of a call to remembrance, but a so then is more of a call to action, right? So here's what took place. So then, look, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In other words, live as you're called. See what Christ has done for us, making us citizens of heaven. We're no longer strangers or aliens from the kingdom of God, therefore, of one another, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul begins to paint a picture of this, of this house. What is the house? The house is the church. Not the organization, but the organism. The breathing, living body of Christ, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb that has been existent for centuries. We are united by the blood of Christ. We are members of the household of God. And this household is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets? It's the word of God. Old and New Testament, we see the word of God revealed Through his apostles and prophets it is what it is what puts structure to our house but he says it's not just the, the 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 foundation you can't just have a foundation right the foundation is what it rests on but the house itself is being built and in that house there's a cornerstone and the cornerstone is jesus christ what is the cornerstone? The, the, the purpose of the cornerstone is, 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 is that part of the house that all of the weight of the house rests upon. You remove the cornerstone and the house falls like a deck of cards. The foundation of this house is the word of God and the person of this house. All of the weight of the house rests upon Jesus Christ who went to the cross for us and makes us one. One. And then he makes it really personal to them and to us. And he says, God's building this house. And because you are in union with Christ, because you're in him, he says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, not only is God building his church corporately, all throughout the world, all throughout the nations. But he's also building us individually as members of his corporate church. And he is building in us as well. And upon the foundation of our lives is the word of God. And the cornerstone of our home, of our life, is Christ himself. And what God is doing corporately, God is doing in our own lives Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The cross of Christ levels the playing field. It is because of the cross of Christ that we are made one. I'm going to ask our elders at this time if you'd come and serve us for for communion today. I wanted to participate in communion at the end of the message as a reflection or as a response to the significance of of what has taken place in Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ is what levels the playing field. Christ went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to We deserved it. He didn't. But Christ stepped into our worst situation, our worst predicament, and took upon himself the punishment that we deserved. It's all about the cross, and in the wisdom of God, Jesus instructs us to regularly come to the table, to remember body that's been broken, the blood that's been shed for us, because it's the grounds for which we gather. It's the truth that connects us with the church over the ages. And so as the elements are being passed by, I'm going to call you to a, a moment of pause, just to reflect on what you were apart from Christ, remembering who you are, in Christ. This is a time where we examine our own hearts. And we ask the Holy Spirit, in what areas of my life am I not living consistent with my new nature? And we repent of our sins. We receive forgiveness on the grounds of Christ going to the cross. We're called to do this regularly because we need to be reminded of of our need for him. And so just in the quietness of your heart, just talk to God this morning. Maybe you've never, maybe you've never asked Christ into your life. Maybe you have not recognized the fact that you're a sinner in need of a savior. I would tell you, don't partake of the the symbol before you partake of Christ himself. And asking Christ to forgive you of your sins come into your life and be your your Lord and Savior, putting your trust in what he has done for you on the cross. There's something so beautiful about the elements being passed out because they're being held before us and we're recognizing our need to partake to identify with the death of Christ on the cross. We recognize our need for forgiveness. We recognize our means of forgiveness being the blood blood of Christ shed for us. May these truths never get old or familiar to us. as Jesus was with his friends, has everybody been served? As Christ was with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. This is the same one in John chapter six, who said, I'm the bread of life. Right? And then he takes the bread. The same one who was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, Calls himself the bread of life in John chapter six. And he reaches for the bread and he says, this is my body, it's broken for you. He said, eat this in remembrance of me. In other words, take it in, take it in. When Christ went to the cross, he went to the cross on our behalf. And as we partake of that, we remember that it was supposed to be us on there because we were guilty, but Christ went in our place. He said, eat this in in remembrance of me. Let's eat together in remembrance of Christ. In the same manner, he took the cup And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Pastor Dominic read about that in Jeremiah earlier. This new covenant, everything was going to change as a result of Christ ushering in this new covenant. No longer would we need to depend upon systems and priests and the shedding of of the blood of lambs and goats. No longer would we need to depend on priests and prophets to teach us, but... But God's word would be in our hearts and the Holy Spirit would be within us because of this new covenant that we're recipients of. The blood that Christ shed for us was the means by which the payment for our redemption was made. And Jesus says, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together in remembrance of Christ. Lord, your word says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for us. Thank you that you shed your blood for us so that we might be forgiven. That we might be forgiven for sins in the past as well as sins for our future. Thank you for the work of Christ on the cross. Father, now as your people, we We rejoice and we celebrate what you've done for us. And we just want to say we love you this morning. Lord, thank you for giving us everything we need in Christ. Thank you that we're complete in you. And Lord, thank you for what we've been recipients of by your grace. Lord, may we extend that to one another. And Lord, may we model that to the world around us, to the glory of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we uh, go to our closing song this morning.